Hello, <clears throat> and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. We hope this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and that it will be entertaining for you as well. <clears throat> we are going to start talking about the prophet Jeremiah. Now, I'm also going to be preaching on Jeremiah throughout the month of November. And if you are following along with our Bible reading plan, um, the reading plan we have started is the Major Prophets. You can find it on Uversion. Um, we started that plan. Sorry, now I've got to pull up that information because I. Oh, and I don't have that. I can't open like I usually do. Uh, <coughs> just hold on one second because I do want to make sure I get this date right. Because if you uh, have have not started that plan, I want to make sure you know when it started so you know how many days have gone by. Because anytime I, I, I my recommendation with these reading plans is always if you're behind, don't catch up. Just skip ahead to where we're at. Uh, because if you try and catch up, it's gonna it's it's gonna be too much, and it's gonna make it hard for you to actually commit. And so, um, okay, we started on October the second. So we're now thirty days into that reading plan. For reference, this morning we read Jeremiah nineteen through twenty one. This is Monday the thirtieth that I'm recording this, by the way. So if you are listening to this on Wednesday the first, that morning we will have read Jeremiah twenty five through twenty seven. Um, and the major prophets, we're reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Um, I am going to be preaching throughout the month of November on Jeremiah, which means that these podcasts, I'm going to do maybe, a, I'm going to do this week on Jeremiah and maybe one more week on Jeremiah, but then um, the podcast throughout the rest of the week of the month of November are going to, we're going to look at the, uh, the other prophetic books so that you get some teaching on that. As well. Now, I, for one, am really excited to preach on Jeremiah because I've been preaching on stewardship and giving for the last five weeks. Now, I thoroughly believe in the message I preached. I believe in the importance of talking about stewardship. Um, no question there. It, it's, a, it's a really important thing to get across. Um, but five weeks is a long time for me to preach on that. And I, I am looking forward to, once again, having some sermons where I preach on other topics. Um, and, and Jeremiah is, he might be my favorite prophetic book. Uh, Isaiah is beautiful and it's really important. And theologically, it's one of the most important, significant texts of the Old Testament. I'm just personally fond of Jeremiah. Part of that is because a whole lot of, Jeremiah is not as much poetry as the other prophets. There's more narrative involved. And I do like that a little better personally, but um, it's also, he's just a really interesting figure. Jeremiah was a, uh, let me turn here to the beginning of the book. I was on chapter 7 for some reason. So I was working on upcoming sermon. Um, Jeremiah is a priest. Now, Isaiah was also a priest. Um, meaning that they had responsibilities in the temple. Jeremiah is uh, introduces himself as the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Now, let me 
brought my handy dandy Old Testament time on here so I get this date right. Okay, here we go. Josiah begins to reign in the year 639 BC. So it's about 626 BC when Jeremiah begins his ministry. Now, Josiah is going to uh, he's going to die in 605 BC in battle. Um, in the at, at the not quite in the Battle of Carchemish, but leading up to it. Here, here's the situation, sort of geopolitically, that Jeremiah is preaching into. The Assyrian Empire, which has been the major superpower for a long time, uh, is rapidly declining. Um, at one point, Assyria had conquered Egypt, making it the sole global superpower. Um, but after King Sennacherib dies, and Sennacherib is the one who uh, invades Judah and lays, lays siege to Jerusalem, while Hezekiah is king, you read about that in the book of Isaiah. You also read about it in Second um, Kings. Um, Sennacherib returns home from that campaign. He is assassinated by his sons, and the Assyrian Empire goes into immediate decline. Because as it turns out, Sennacherib's sons are not particularly good kings, and they can't really decide which one of them should rule. There's a lot of instability. Egypt regains its independence and becomes a major world power again pretty quickly. Um, and so now, and, and then these, these people from the southern part of the Assyrian Empire begin to rebel. And those people are the Babylonians. So Assyria is declining. And that is significant for the kingdom of Judah because Judah has been a vassal state of Syria for a very long time. Uh, and what that means is they pay them tribute. They send money to Assyria. They send soldiers to fight in their wars, but now they don't have to. And so King Josiah reigns during this kind of interesting period where um, for a little bit, it, Judah is kind of free from, from outside influence. And Josiah begins this series of reforms. There's this great moment, and I think it's in Second Kings, but I couldn't tell you the chapter off the top of my head right now, where one of the, the priests comes to Josiah and says, Oh, king, we, we found these scrolls in the temple, and they appear to have some laws, and then we're all supposed to be following. And it becomes clear they found the Torah scrolls. Now, we don't know how long they were lost for, but, you know, the, the, the joke amongst me and my pastor friends is always like, you know, every church has that one closet, you know, that no, no one wants to go in and no one wants to clean out. And their church closet just so happened to have the only copies of their Bible. Uh, and so, uh, evidently, at some point, they had just completely lost the scrolls of the Torah. Who knows when that happened? Uh, and so Josiah reads the laws and goes, oh, dear Lord. Literally. Um, we, we had no clue. We were so wrong. And he starts instituting these reforms. Um, and unfortunately it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not enough. Um, because what happens is Babylon, Babylon is rising to power really quickly. Judah quickly becomes a vassal state of the newly formed kingdom of Babylon, which means they have to pay tribute money to Babylon and they have to send soldiers to fight in Babylonian wars. And then in, in the year 612 BC, so quite a while after Jeremiah has begun his ministry, um, Assyria falls to Babylon. The, the Assyrian capital of Nineveh is, is destroyed by the Babylonian army. 
and there's there is still a remnant of Assyria left. They don't just completely conquer that empire. Um, and in 605 BC, what is left of the Assyrian military is attempting to join up with the Egyptian military so that they can, as a united force, take on the full might of Babylon and defeat this upstart little kingdom from, from Mesopotamia. And the Babylonian king tells Josiah, his vassal, you have to take the army of Judah out and delay the Egyptians. And he does, and he dies in the process in 605. And it's not long after that that uh, his, his sons, who evidently learned absolutely nothing from their father, lead Israel back into idolatry. They, uh, they, they attempt to go back and form an alliance with the Egyptians, who were just annihilated at Carchemish. And I can't, that word is, is accurate. Their entire military was destroyed. They have no more military power. Um, and these idiots think, let's go make an alliance with them, uh, which doesn't end well. And so you have the first round of deportations in which the king, most of the nobility, most of the highly educated people, most of the wealthy people of Judah are carried off into exile. That happens around 597 BC. And Babylon installs a puppet king named Zedekiah, who will rule very briefly until about 586 BC, when he tries the same stupid things that his predecessor did. And Babylon will come in, and this time they will deport everybody but the poorest of the poor. And that begins the exile. And this is what Jeremiah lives through. Jeremiah lives through the exile. He does. He, he is there when Jerusalem falls. So he spends, and just imagine this, by the way, okay? He starts his ministry in 626 BC. The fall of Jerusalem happens in 586 BC. Jeremiah spends 40 years preaching to the people of Jerusalem, to the people of Judah, that if you don't stop your idolatry, if you don't repent and turn to God, if you don't stop doing all this dumb stuff you're doing, if you don't stop worshiping these false gods and rejecting the God who brought you out of slavery, if you don't stop trying to return to the same people who enslaved you, God is going to destroy this city. He spends 40 years preaching that message. And, and and in the process, he gets publicly beaten. He gets thrown in prison. He's made fun of. He's, he's, he's constantly demeaned and humiliated and harmed. And after 40 years, then he has to watch. He is physically present. As the Babylonians lay siege to Jerusalem, as the people begin to starve to death, as the people begin to eat their own children in desperation, and then finally as the city falls and it is destroyed. And the destruction of a city after a lengthy siege, uh, that, that is one of the most horrific, violent, and brutal things any human being could ever witness. And he lives through it all. After spending 40 years trying to convince the people that if they just repented, they could avoid this fate. And he lives through it. And God does protect him through that. Jeremiah himself is not harmed. 
he survives the exile, and evidently, uh, you know, his people carry him off to Egypt at one point, but he returns. But and, and evidently, he will enjoy special protection from the Babylonian government at one point, um, because because the Lord protects him. It, it's quite fascinating. So that's as you are reading the book of Jeremiah, I want you to have that in your head that this is what's going on. This is the fate he is warning them about. Now, his sermons here in the book of Jeremiah, they are not in chronological order. They're not. Um, so don't read it thinking you can kind of discern um, what the, the, the order here is. Um, or, or that there's like a clear sequence of events, because there's not. Um, that's just not how it was put together. And I would tell you more, but then I would be spoiling my sermons. But I want you to remember that these are being written, and, and they're they're composed, and and they're um, they they're organized into this book by his scribe, a man by the name of Baruch, who writes down Jeremiah's sermons, and puts them in order and publishes them, uh, in a couple of different scrolls, and probably comes back and edits them from time to time, as well. Um, but just to I mean, you can. If you pay attention when you read, you can almost hear the pain in his voice as he's warning people of what's going to come. And then, of course, he's going to see it. It's one of the most tragic books of the Bible. Here's this preacher who knows exactly what is going to happen. He can see the outcome, and he's desperately warning the people against this because he can see what is going to happen, and they don't listen. And he perseveres for 40 years, which, which also, by the way, means you got to remember that there's a clear law in the Old Testament that says the way you judge whether a prophet is a genuine prophet or not is whether their prophecy comes true. Well, Jeremiah's prophecies didn't come true for 40 years. So for 40 years, he's called a false prophet because his prophecies haven't come true. For 40 years, he, he must have doubted he must have doubted from time to time. In fact, we know he did because there are several points in the book of Jeremiah where he writes down his doubts. He at one point says, Lord, you lied to me. This hasn't happened. You've been lying to me. Let me see if I can find it. I want to read that if I can. Um, I want to say I read it this week. I want to say I read it this week. Sorry, now I'm talking to myself. You've got me all into it. Here we go. Yeah, Jeremiah 20, verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed, and I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. And he is accusing God of lying to him. Lord, I, you gave me these words to say and they haven't come true and that means I'm a false prophet. And he says this, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. 
he is literally saying, Lord, you've given me these prophecies that you told me to say to the people and they're not coming true. And I can't not say them. I can't just hold it in. You give me the words to say and you are forcing me to say them. You've given me this burning fire inside of me and I have to let it out. But it's not coming true. He's so angry with God. He's so angry with God for this. Even he concludes he concludes that passage in verse 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Verse 18, he ends this passage with, Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? So you are really getting a glimpse, a glimpse of his heart during this 40-year period when he is preaching this message that is not coming true. So we know that Jeremiah, this incredible prophet who, who wrote the second longest prophetic book in the Bible, one of the most influential prophets in Israel's history who will be quoted by Jesus himself. When Jesus storms into the temple and says, it's... <laughs> and says, have you made my house a den of robbers? He is quoting Jeremiah. And this man, look at the doubts he has. Lord, you have deceived me. And who can blame him? Because he has to preach this message for 40 years before it will come true. Wow. Wow. Imagine the faith he has. I mean, really, imagine the faith that it takes to preach that message for 40 years when it's not coming true. To acknowledge those doubts you have, to accuse God of lying to you and then say, Lord, it's not coming true. It must be a false prophecy, but you have given me the words to say and I can't hold it in. I mean, he's grieving that's what he's doing. He's grieving that he has to do this. He's grieving the calling that God has placed on his life, but he knows he can't avoid it. He knows what he has to do. He knows he has been commissioned by God for this task. No matter how difficult it is, imagine the depth of the faith that Jeremiah has in God. And I, I do not know that I have the kind of faith that would let me do that. I don't. I, I just don't know. And of course, I haven't been asked to. I haven't been asked to. But wow, the faith that he has. When you are reading Jeremiah, you are reading the sermons of one of the most incredibly faithful preachers of all time. That's what these are. I mean, these are sermons that he preached. I mean, he's, we'll talk, I mean I'm going to talk on Sunday about one of the passages where he stands in the doorway of the temple and accuses the people coming to the temple of idolatry and rejection. Just amazing. Just amazing. And and it's also a little disturbing. Because here God has this remarkably faithful servant. And he asks him to spend 40 years of his life. For most of us, that that is I mean, I mean you got that's the standard career length, right? 40, 42 years roughly. 43 years maybe. 
I know my dad's been a pastor for 42 years. Spends 40 years of his life preaching the same message over and over again, even though it's not coming true, even though the people don't believe him, even though they hate him for it. He preaches it, and the worst part is there is no way he could have felt vindicated when it finally happened because of the horror and the violence and the brutality that came about. There must have been nothing but sorrow and a heartbreak. He must have hoped throughout those 40 years that he was wrong. And there's a message in there for all of us. Because we're all called to do what Jeremiah did to some extent. We're all called to share the word of God with anyone who will listen. We are all called to speak the truth in love. Knowing that a lot of people aren't going to listen to us. I mean, the world is not going to listen to the message of the church more often than not. And we know that some people will go on to destruction because of it. We know that there is going to come another day of judgment when all of us will stand before God in judgment and, and there will be people who we know who will be condemned on that day. And it's not going to be a moment of vindication for us. It's not going to be a moment of satisfaction. I mean, maybe, look, there are some people who will all be satisfied to see you go down into destruction, right? I mean, but that's not most of them. That's not most people. Most people will just reject God. They won't commit any sort of especially horrifying acts of evil or brutality. They will just reject God every day of their life right up to the end. And that should inspire us. That should inspire us to share the gospel in every way we can, even if it's just by our loving presence in their lives so that they can see that there's something different about us, but it should inspire us to do something, anything, to reach the lost, even if we know it's ultimately futile. That's why I love this book. It is such a haunting book. It's haunting because Jeremiah knows what's going to happen. It's haunting because he has doubts, and he's so relatable because he has doubts, and because he wrote them down. I don't think Isaiah ever writes down his crises of faith. I don't think any of the other prophets do, actually. But Jeremiah writes them down. He has these crises and says, Look, I, God, <laughs> what are you doing to me? It's wild. Absolutely wild. So there's your overview of Jeremiah. I may do uh, a bit more of an in-depth look next week before I move on to uh, Ezekiel and then Lamentations and, and, and Daniel. Um, but as you read Jeremiah, just read it from that perspective of a preacher desperately trying to get people to avoid destruction. A preacher who's going to spend 40 years on that mission and fail. A preacher who really wrestles at times with whether or not he is right, but who boldly proclaims the word anyway. Amen.